0: Hello, all. Welcome to the Lunar Spire Cartoon Fan Podcast. This is episode 409, and today we'll be talking about really small problems from the Owl
1: House. I'm GC13. And I'm David. Well, our bone son (laughs) is uh, back in action, you know, with his grand emotional maturity uh, leading to a very, you know... Boring episode in which not much happens because, uh, you know, he doesn't really make mistakes based on poor decision making.
0: Oh, yeah. You know, when they (laughs) when he when he really wants something, he talks it out with people. And, you know, since they care about him and each other, they all work something out and everybody walks away happy. Great episode. Very feel good moment.
1: (laughs) Poor King is uh, still learning what it means to share a friend. But that's what little children have to do.
0: (laughs) Yeah, in his defense, he's like, maybe 10.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's baby. The villain of this episode, I think we both agreed before recording, we we could care less about, um,
0: I don't know. Eh, he does, uh, Tibbles has a very funny little showman dance that he does on his holographic card that. Ida somehow managed to miss that. She she can sniff out a death hex, but she can't turn a
1: invitation over to see who it's from. <laughs> I Well, that's kind of the theme for the protagonist of this episode is like, no one cares <laughs> because it's a carnival. Like, it's funny because that maps to the real world. Like, in the real world, going to a carnival is also a great risk that you take. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's about the fun anyway. So... They really don't care that it's a trap. It's silly that the trap is so, uh, silly, though. You know, Tobles just wants to put them in his own tiny circus act, which I'm not really... I I guess the point of making them small is that they're easy to manipulate and, like, literally pick up and place in a cage. Because couldn't he just find large versions of the same beasts and (laughs) throw them in a similar circus? Well, they
0: were already large but he just needs Ida and company to not be a threat to him. Right. I-, I guess it's like a karma thing, like, you destroyed my livelihood, now you'll serve my livelihood. Yeah, he really tried to make that point. Yeah, he, he said something to that effect, but, you know, no refunds. I, I guess that cuts both ways, Mr. Yeah. Tibbles. Or maybe we should just call him Obvioso.
1: I, I like that name more. That was a, that was a great alter ego. He fo- He fooled me. <laughs> I like how much he believed in his mustache. I wonder if he thought that was only capable of fooling King or if he really thought that was a great disguise for all audiences because he he seemed really committed to keeping the mustache on, but uh I don't know, it's pretty lazy, pretty lazy costume, obviously.
0: I I wouldn't have risked it myself, but he was at least confident enough to think he could fool King, and he he could. Yeah. When Apiosa finds out that you stole his mustache, you're going to be... Oh.
1: <laughs> I know. Poor King, though. You know, the real low point of the episode was him leaning in for, you know, the photo frame and he his head oh. is the one above a trash can. I mean, that just, you know, that just hits hard. There was a lot of cartoon shenanigans going on in this one, like so
0: many... So many three-person rides. I didn't know the (laughs) carnivals had so many of those.
1: Yeah, well, okay, but you could say that that was all the planning of Tibbles because he did intentionally plan for this friendship wedge, right? By inviting Gus and Willow.
0: I I think he just wanted to get all of them together. I uh, also don't think that he has any pull at the carnival. You know, Tipples is just one carny. He's not the the guy running the show.
1: That's that's true, because presumably we already met the authorities who captured Ida. (laughs) Oh, let's talk about that for a second. It's like, hmm, I could
0: either turn you in for the one trillion snail bounty, or I can have you sell
1: caramel apples. Yeah, like not even a real scam, except for the fact that they pinch you because they're crab apples. Uh, Yeah, that was silly and once again shows how trivial it is to find and capture Ida. So why do they make it such a point of the show that like she's wanted and is, you know, being searched for when it's so easy to grab her? Like the freaking carnies can capture her in a pile of cotton candy. Like I wish they had not made it such a focus.
0: So David, you know what this means, don't you? What is that We have, we have uh, in versus contests, we call these feats. So we now have feats for Ida and the Carnies, where uh, the Carnies are able to beat Ida. So this means, indirectly, that the Carnies are better than the Emperor's Coven. And, I mean, let's be honest, I can believe that, given the way the Emperor's Coven acquits itself over the course of the
1: series. I mean, the just the fun police guy, policeman, <laughs> had a uh... The ability to do the hovering <laughs> manipulation magic, which we see Ida use, but I don't even know what its categorization is within the covens. I mean, they might not be marked. These guys definitely work
0: outside of society, so it would make sense for a Kearney not to have a coven mark.
1: Yeah, that's what I was wondering, because that magic seems like it's closer to wild magic.
0: You know any any time like any time I see a stern-faced clown doing a uh, you know there's oh you can't be clowning on my turf you know I of course go back to kids next door I'm a clown do I look like a kid <laughs> But uh, of course a very very different situation with the clowns there uh, that that was more of a mafia thing than a carnival thing even though right. they did work at a circus
1: They uh, they stayed Stayed simple and didn't try to make the carnival also a parody or joke on something else, <laughs> which is appreciated. It is funny what similar things creep itself into every cartoon, though. Like, I just think of, you know, Mr. Smiley and the... uh oh God, what was the freaking... <laughs> Funland, yeah. Like, I, I just didn't grow up being near carnival rides or all the time or, like, traveling carnivals. So it's just funny that those same things, like, the guy running the bottle stand that's always ripping you off. Like, <laughs> I feel bad for everyone who can't can't win the ring tossed. Uh, of course, it doesn't help when they have feet.
0: I thought this thing was rigged. <laughs> i like, why, why is the answer always for Luz to tickle something? She tickles her locker. She tickles the... There's like a skee-ball thing here. Yeah, she tickles the skee-ball thing. I could have sworn that there was something else she tickled. Or maybe she just fed the Dewey Decimal card catalog. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. I don't Uh, know. I feel like she tickles a lot of things in this show.
1: (laughs) Yes, tickles our hearts. Speaking of ticklish, uh, I I like Willow's line that up close everything is hairy. I uh, I feel yes. Gus. I don't, except Gus is braver than me. I guess his situation called for him to, you know, ride on that fly. But if I shrank down, I mean, flies aren't hairy when you see them from our la- level, but they're definitely hairy up close. And that's disgusting.
0: The hairs that he had to deal with were much better than the hairs you or I would have to deal with if we were shrunk down to ride on top of one of our flies. So I don't give Gus any points for bravery there. <laughs> You call me when he has to deal with an
1: earth fly. Yeah, I mean, God, those are nasty. It is funny, too. I like the trope of a character needs to get somewhere, and a completely wild, untamed animal can be easily steered <laughs> to where they need to oh, go.
0: it's not just that. The fly was able to be given instructions. Okay, I want you to take this cotton candy, and instead of eating it, drop it on that girl's head over there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Willow just... Points in a direction too, which, as a cat owner, pointing means nothing to them. <laughs> like, Has she been
0: like sneaking out of the plant track room and going and learning from some of
1: the beastkeeping stuff? Yeah, uh, I mean, I I like it when you know, in amphibia, it's clear that the snails they ride are fully, you know, intelligent creatures above, you know, any companion animal that we have in our reality. But, you know, when it's just a fly, it doesn't make sense. (laughs) Well, that's very normal. The animals in TV shows
0: are always very attuned to what their humans want them to do. You get a lot of lassies.
1: Right. It's a projection of our desires. We're like, wouldn't it be great if our pets really did understand us instead of being mostly calorie hunting algorithms that occasionally show affection because of brain chemicals? (laughs) I still love my cats, though.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm a cat, man.
1: <laughs>
0: now, I, I remember that it was when we were talking about the zoo. The, when Steven goes to the human zoo in Steven Universe, you were talking about how the the commercial break will mess things up. And, like, a character will say one thing before the commercial break, and then they'll say a different thing after oh, the commercial God. break. But it's, like, the same moment. Because we had one of those this time, where at first Gus is all very stoic. Man, puberty, you're the craziest coaster of them all. And then, what? What happened to us? Did we shrink? It's like, that was whiplash for me.
1: Yeah. (laughs) That's funny you bring up the zoo, because I'll never forget how weird it is that that eyeball appears when you couldn't see it in the ending of the previous episode. (laughs) They like somehow wrote those episodes at separate times or something. Anyway, Steven Universe. I mean,
0: at the the very least, with the Owl House, they weren't just saying something similar, but not quite the same. This was just a completely, (laughs) completely different way to react. And in the wrong order, too. It's not like he freaks out at first, and then after a little while, he starts getting like, hmm, philosophical. He's philosophical, and then he realizes, oh, wait, I'm not dreaming. This is actually real. Time to panic.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, the age of needing to change like the format or you know like literally editing or having different dialogue because of commercial break is so strange i i like wish that it had died around invader zim's time where it's like yeah let's just pretend that entire things happened off screen during a commercial break because lol commercial breaks are stupid (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: that was a yeah that was some fight with that ham demon huh yeah Or I I think it was a whole adventure with the Ham Demon.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. the best part is how when you just watch it today and you, you know, own it or whatever, and you don't have commercials. Like, it's so, it's like so weird. (laughs) Like, I'm sure though, even coming back from a commercial break, that joke wouldn't land at all. I feel like it's something someone (laughs) has to explain to you because you're just like, wait, did they cut? And now I'm in a different episode and you have to like readjust back. But see, that's the thing. Even when, like, it, it, it's annoying just when Gus's character says something different. You're like, wait, is truth different? Am I watching television? Are these characters not really, is this not actually a filmed recording of what occurred? But rather, the dialogue is just written and can be rewritten if I'm reviewing the same scene again? It's so weird.
0: I'm pretty sure this is a documentary. Maybe there were conflicting reports about what Gus said, so they figured they would put them both in.
1: Right. I mean, they do do this in shows, though. Like, a character will ask a question, and then it'll go to commercial break. And then when they come back from the commercial break, the character asks the same question, but in different wording.
0: Like, there's my favorite episode of Hogan's Heroes ever, where the dude is asking Hogan, Okay, the dude who you're pretending to be lost a thumb during a hunting accident. Which thumb was it? And then... You know, was it the right or the left? And then they come back from commercial back. Which one was it? The right or the left? And then Hogan has to bluff them.
1: But yeah, they didn't
0: just replay it. They, uh, they're they like, okay, so this is where we were. Let's just pick back up.
1: Yeah. Yeah, commercial breaks. It's so funny, too, because the Owl House lives pretty firmly in the streaming age. Like,
0: But it does <laughs> air on Disney Channel still, so they have to... I mean, I liked the way they did it with Glitch Text, where if you look, you can see what the commercial breaks are, but it's not really that distracting if no. you're watching it on Netflix. But they are prepared, just in case Nickelodeon ever decides to show it the love it deserves and put it on TV.
1: Yeah, I mean, what helps is if you can frame your entire story where the fade to blacks actually, you know, function as the end of a scene, right? But where it's most glaring is if it's just during the same scene. <laughs> and you just artificially raise tension right before, right? Which is like... Yeah,
0: gotta pace a little better. Yeah. But, uh, I guess since we're talking about uh, minor complaints, I did notice another, <laughs> really small, like, weird one. <laughs> yeah, really small problems with really small problems. But uh, this, one, this one actually is like, uh, why did you guys make the scene like this? So when they're hiding underneath the styrofoam cup, while well, that, uh, Little thing is trying to eat them. It's sticking its tongue through Mm -hmm. the cup. And Willow's like, okay, that's enough of that. And she pulls up the... She gets the vines out from the ground and grabs onto its tongue and pulls down on its tongue. And then the camera cuts out and the thing is like pulling its beak
1: back so the styrofoam cup comes up. No vines. Yeah, Yeah, I totally felt that too. Especially because... Her magic is pretty powerful and I kind of expected to see vines like around the cup and stuff and there's just nothing. Yeah, I don't know. And the funny thing is we don't know what part of the process, like did someone just not put that in the storyboard? Is that like a short enough thing that someone could just not
0: animate it? You know, I don't know. I mean, it's not like Invader Zim where you had the Zim. What? And it's like they just didn't add in the traffic and it's like they're like, wait, no. This is gold. Just have it be a completely dead silent street. This is perfect. <laughs> they just they just saw the scene incomplete and they're like, "No, it has to stay like this." Yeah. Oh man. And I I just don't see them doing that with this scene, but I mean, oh well. I I get along with my life and I just move on, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh the, the the last thing I did note down cuz I I did comment on how did they get that? fly to drop the cotton candy on Luz's head. It's like, these flies are very intelligent for insects, you know? But uh, how did they get so much cotton candy to form all of the- I keep calling it cotton candy by the way, because rotten candy is disgusting, and why would you eat something that its name is rotten? But how did they get so much of of it to make those arrows? (laughs) And also, shouldn't Luz have stepped on Gus and Willow since they were standing in front of the mirror that She ran headfirst into.
1: (laughs) That would be grim, GC. That would be grim. Wait, are you saying that in order to avoid like having to show two primary characters being squished in the shoe that uh, they shouldn't just come up with another way for Luz to enter the scene so that it isn't, like, forced that she doesn't step on them? <laughs> what are you saying?
0: Yeah, they could just not have her barrel over the ground where they are established to be, or, you know, you can show them having to jump out of the way. Like, you could just have the camera in a different spot where you can see that, oh, yeah, they, they dodged. Or maybe you could just have them off on either side because they're like, oh, yeah, there's no way Luz isn't gonna run into the mirror. And then you could get a little joke like, oh, so you were right, Willow, she did run into the mirror. Good call. Wow. <laughs> but instead, no, they're right there in the middle. I guess they didn't want to insert a joke into that spot. Uh, Lou's running into the mirror was funny enough.
1: Yeah. Well, it's also, you know, supposed to become the highest tension moment. Yeah. Right. Ugh. I think they were way too hard on King. I know, right? Because he's baby. And he didn't do it purposefully.
0: Yeah, exactly. It was like, you had something in there to shrink us. And and, and at no point does King say, yeah, but I didn't ever actually want to use it. And you guys were there. You heard me want to tell Luz that something had gone wrong until she's like, oh, hey, King, I'm going to give you everything you wanted. And, you know, he thought that they were teleported away. So what's the point?
1: Yeah, but to be fair, I mean, yeah, my first reaction was similar. I was like, dang, Luz, you're really chewing up King. But I mean, you know... If I was like, oh, in my fanny pack, I, you know, brought (laughs) pills that murder you, but I didn't put them in your drinks. I mean, I just, I made a bad decision ever picking them up from that weird, you know, evil pharmacist. But I, you know, I'm not going to use them. (laughs) I never, I I, I, I gave up halfway. It's like, well, I'm still mad at you Hmm. for doing that in the first place. So maybe don't go get, you know, magic potions that, well... Even worse, he didn't think it'd make them shrink. He he thought it made them disappear completely. Uh, which is philosophically crazy.
0: But he knew that they would come back.
1: I know, but it's funny because King, while he thought the Gus and Willow were gone, he's like, it's been too long now. Or, you know, he was worried about like what length of time is appropriate for them to, you know, like not exist. <laughs> which I think is an amazing calculation to have to do. Like if someone is non-existent, <laughs> i don't think the amount of time that they're gone matters anymore but but
0: uh, you mentioned the fanny pack and you know since i forgot to shout out the big city green stall when we did the night at the inn for amphibia i want to make sure i remember that uh, to shout out the Rocco's modern life shirt pattern on the fanny pack wow i don't know if that's intentional or not but uh, i like seeing that pattern anyway
1: <laughs> yeah, that might just be more of an effect of Fanny Packs being a prevalent thing in the 90s, you know. Although are they a 90s thing or more of an 80s thing? Uh, probably 80s, but yeah.
0: They they would have still been popular into the 90s, but probably early. I mean, Rocco's
1: modern life would have been influenced by 80s anyway. So
0: Yeah, you you got to think what what did the what did the writers grow up watching?
1: Yeah, I'm glad we came up, came up with a more outdated human reference than Eda did <laughs> with her uh, yeah, that, fidget spinner. Well,
0: that that never made any sense to me. I'm pretty sure I mentioned this already, but the the very day I watched this episode for the first time, I had heard people talking about fidget spinners. So for Eda to call the fidget spinner and outdated human reference was like total bunk
1: right from the start for me. Ha! <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I can't even think when I first learned about fidget spinners, but they've been a thing long before they really hit the uh, popular culture. But yeah, I mean, I probably heard about them. I don't think I heard about them in high school. Maybe, maybe college. I never owned one. It kind of like passed me a little too. Like I was a little older than it seemed like, yeah, the kids were into it. I could have bought one for like five bucks at half price books well
0: after the fidget spinners were no longer popular, but I'm like, yeah, it is a very nice shade of blue but like why would i want this <laughs> it was a good shade of blue
1: though <laughs> to be fair I-, I feel like you could make a joke about anything being an outdated reference assuming that your pipeline's going to take you know 2 years to make the episode yeah. that you're writing come out right so makes no sense that they could... <laughs> anymore yeah
0: although they got that one right <laughs> Anyway, guys, that's it for us on Really Small
1: Problems. Join us next week. Until then, I'm G.C. And I'm David. Don't forget to leave us a review uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts.
0: Later, everybody. Our opening and closing music is by Mark Soto. For more cartoon-related content, please visit LunarCespire.com.